No, he's talking to our guests. Oh, oh yes. Sorry. Yeah. Sure, sorry. Told us there are millions of yeah, guests. Christmas Christmas didn't I tell you that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're talking to the guests. We want, we want, we want our listeners to tell us what their favorite Christmas song is. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of the Cloud Whispers. I'm David Broussard. And I am Brian Cheatham. And Brian, one of these days you were going to come in on Mark. You know, I tell you, just like we do this every time, and it's always like pause. I, I just, I know, <laughs> I just like doing it to you. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's kind of a shtick now, but uh, you know, it, it, it it's it's Christmas time, so we'll we'll give you a slide this time. Give me another slide. All right. Give you give you another slide. So, so Brian, what have you been up to lately? Well, I've actually had a bit of downtime, and I've been able to work on my my course that I've been uh, working on. I've been trying to publish a course, uh, as as you know, uh, mm-hmm. my first course under the Get Cloud Savvy brand. Awesome. And I've been it's been good from a learning experience because uh, again, if you can teach somebody something, you actually know it better, right? So um, it's been really good from a learning perspective. And there's been a lot of like those type of moments where I'm like, wow, I didn't really know that that was there. You know, I'm finding this little PowerShell script that will go through and look at a tenant and tell you all the configuration settings and things like Mm -hmm. that. So Mm -hmm. I got some pretty good information. You got to share that one with me. I I, I need that PowerShell script. (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) I but, will. But I guess one of my questions that I would be concerned about in that regard is, I mean, I, I did some, I did some, some videos like that a couple of years ago um, for where I work, and you know, it seemed like the day after they released, they were out of date because yeah. things are changing so fast. Does does that yeah. worry you? And how are you going to plan on keeping these things up to date? Yeah, I mean, it does and it doesn't because I mean, really, you can go back in and edit. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's I'm using Camtasia to record over PowerShell. I'm sorry, over a PowerPoint uh, deck, so oh, okay. I can easily update the decks and go back in. And once you post it online, you just need a basically just need a you know website to host it on. Um, you're okay. just updating the videos. Uh, every everything else is really kind of structured. The structure of the class stays the same. All of that stays the same. And every once in a while, I'm going to have to go in and edit a slide. Heck, it happened in the middle of the doing the actual course. I'm actually developing the course, and Microsoft renamed ATP to Defender or Office, yeah, Defender for Office 365. So I've had to go back and already re-record some of the stuff that was in there. So so, so it's, now uh, it's now it's DO365 instead of ATP. Yep. So advanced threat protection has now changed to Defender for Office 365. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the one that I want that's them to right, That's the kind is, of stuff is, you learn by looking is, at this is stuff. Azure Identity Protection and Azure Information Protection because they're yeah. both AIP, and that always drove people crazy because I'd, I'd, I'd be called in to talk about AIP, and I'm thinking we're talking about labels, and they're talking about risky logins, and they're risky talking logins. about leak credentials, and I'm like, oh, that's not me. That's Brian. He's the, <laughs> he's the guy that does that kind of stuff. I, I do the yeah. labels and the documents. <laughs> yeah. You know, they turn on a dime and rename something. It happens It happens all the time. So well, Hopefully that is that hasn't been like trademarked by somebody else, and they'll have to change it again. Because right. you know, we, we, we all remember uh, SkyDrive. Yep. The the short lived and well loved SkyDrive. I think I actually have some SkyDrive merch someplace 
uh, that I got at a, at a, a SharePoint conference. I think that wasn't the executable SkyDrive for the longest time. It was. It was. Well, yeah. there, before that, it was Groove that they that's had right. purchased. That's right. Groove. Crazy. Well, that, well, that's cool. I I personally have been doing a whole bunch of advanced discovery work lately, uh, working with some different clients and helping them transition into Microsoft's advanced discovery yeah. platform. And then also, um, I'm I'm working on as a result of that, I, I started doing some help videos for one of the clients, and so I'm I'm looking at those now, and I'm going to re-edit them. Um, and add a little bit in to kind of try to kind of give people an intro into advanced discovery and take them from the creation of a case, identifying custodians, putting yeah. communications out there, how to do searches, how to do review sets, how to import from external content, and then how to export everything at the end. And just kind of give people an overarching uh, view of things. And, and along the way, I found some errors in the Microsoft documentation. And, you know, because if you remember our episode a few a few times ago when we had the sharing is caring guys, they've taught me how to go out and edit that stuff. And yeah. so I was able to go out and actually edit a little bit of the documentation uh, that was no longer up to date with their user interface um, out there. So that's always kind of fun as well. You know, yeah. you got to you got to do things and you got to wait a day kind of thing, which makes right. it kind of difficult. That's when all the agents and everything run from the different workloads and all that. Yeah. And it just, it just takes time for these searches and indexes to happen and the imports. Yeah. And, and so what you end up doing, it's almost like doing a cooking show. You have to have the case at various different states so yeah. that you've got some content here and some content here and some content here. So you can kind of demonstrate walking through the whole thing, which is, you know, fun stuff. Yeah. And I, and I think people really don't know how far along that product line is with Microsoft. Oh, it is. It's, it's, it's very advanced because they they went out yeah. and they bought another company about three years ago. And yeah. now they've fully integrated that into the stack. And all you've got to do is you don't even have to have E5 licenses for everybody in the company. You just have to have E5 licenses for the people who are actually going to be uh, record, uh, data custodians. Yeah. So if you've got five people that you got to put on hold, they have to have E5 licenses, but nobody else does. Yeah. Like your, your, your TAR people don't have to. Yeah, and we're learning something, right? We're learning yeah. that Microsoft changes the names of stuff. And but one thing, one thing you've learned about being in the cloud, and so if we could ever whisper something into your ear, it's that yeah. you have to be agile and you have to be ready to respond to the changing winds in the cloud constantly, because that's that's actually the coolest thing about being in the cloud is the fact that you're not having to wait three to five years for the next bit of functionality to come down. It's going to happen this afternoon, right in the middle yeah. of a demo with a client. See, right, exactly. <laughs> which I've had, which I've had happen as well. You're like, oh, that's new stuff. I haven't seen that before. Which makes me as a consultant, and I'm sure Brian, you're in the same way. It, it makes you seem oh so competent when you go, ooh, that's new. I haven't seen that before. Yeah. <laughs> when you're right. right in the middle of a demo with a customer. Yeah, happens all the time. We we'll call it Agile 365, right? <laughs> rename it for Microsoft. Oh yeah, we we need to rename yeah because it's already Microsoft 365. As yeah, opposed right. to Office 365, which makes me wonder, why are they calling it Defender for Office 365 and not Defender for Microsoft 365? You're asking a question that I can't answer. <laughs> it's just, we should, just, we should get a saw. Microsoft marketing person into the podcast and oh, ask them these no. weighty questions. No. No. Dataflex, <laughs> Dataverse, which one will it be and why? I just want to I want to ask the person that named Forefront. Wasn't everything called Forefront there for a while? Oh, it was. Yeah, I have a buddy who works on that team, actually. Yeah. Um, but hey, a lot of that going of buddies, around. Yep. Brian, you've got yep. a buddy that, that you want to introduce to us today. So why, why, don't you, why don't you tell us who we've got? Absolutely. We have Rich Dean. Uh, he is now with Quest Software, and I'll let him tell you that story. <laughs> but I actually worked with uh, Rich uh, over at Binary Tree. Uh, that's okay. when him and I first met. 
And he's now a technical product manager with Quest Software, but he's got a, a long background of migration and is specifically merger and acquisition or what we call M&A. Rich, uh, welcome. If you wouldn't Thanks, mind Brian. just giving us a quick uh, introduction, that'd be great just for all sure, of our no listeners. Yeah, no worry. Happy to be here. My name's Richard Dean. Uh, like Brian said, I'm a technical product manager at Quest Software. You've seen on M&A, so migrations, coexistence. I've just moved to Quest because Quest uh, acquired Binary Tree. Uh, I've been at Binary Tree the last 12 years. Um, the last three, I've been focused in product management and product architecture. And then the previous 10 years, I was a consultant in the field, implementing our our software, building solutions, helping customers, being the trusted advisor that customers want in that field. So look forward to having a chat today. So you've been awesome. doing migration for a pretty long time then, Rich. Yeah, yeah. Even before Binary Tree, I was doing that as a private consultant. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, probably two or three years before that, I was doing private consulting in Kansas, doing that type of work inside of Kansas City and inside of Topeka. And then uh, before that, I was basically a sysadmin throughout my previous life. And when I started out, I was, you know, IBM help desk, global services. Cool. Like, so that was my first wow. job after college. Oh, global did services. you have to wear a blue suit and a, and a black or a blue tie every day? <laughs> no, we had the blue T-shirts, though. Oh, blue T-shirts. And then we had, there was two sides of the help desk. There's the E&Y side, which was uh -huh. like... The black hats, like everybody had their, you know, you had to have your hat or your T-shirt on and your your current badge. And no one was allowed on the ENY side. That was the premier side. Oh, wow. And uh, and then we had our, our SLEPs. That, well, that was the group that I was stuck in. And they called us desktop um, oh. <laughs> to, where, to where we had 200, 250 different clients. I mean, we even had field engineers, IBM, calling in to say, hey, I need manual FYZ. Go pull it. Look at page 77 and tell oh. me. <laughs> what the configuration of XYZ oh my is. Gosh. We wow. would have to go pull manuals for IBM field engineers to pull codes to look at to do change diodes and change oh switches and things like that. <laughs> like so we were the like figure it all out. And that's when I got introduced to Lotus Notes and Lotus Domino oh, and cool. started hacking around in that. And that's when I, you know, moved over into sysadmin and started doing email and you know, and all of that. And that's really where I kind of started as a sysadmin was an email admin and then just grew from there. So, so Rich, the, the kind of migrations that, that you've done, have they primarily been, you know, messaging communications kind of migrations or do you also get over into the files and, and other oh, yeah. features? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, in the, in the olden days, right, it was mm -hmm. mainly, that was the focus. That was the workload. That's where everybody yep. needed it. If you couldn't do other workloads or whatever they considered workloads, it wasn't a priority. The priority back then was mail, calendar, right. and the coexistence if you're doing a phased migration. But today, that's all changed. And that's probably part of the challenges that uh, customers are facing today. You know, over the last several years, especially with tenant to tenant now, mm -hmm. um, we've added OneDrive to the workloads. That's probably the first and foremost. So we're moving your mailboxes and your archives. Now customers want you to move their files as well. Yeah. Right. Um, then on top of that, then you have SharePoint. SharePoint's always kind of been in the mix, but almost as a, a separate workload or a separate project even from mailbox migrations. They're almost separate projects. Today, they're starting to get merged together a lot. 
right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, we have 12 workloads that we're going to move and we have to he- figure out how to coordinate which workloads we're going to move first, which ones have interdependencies with each other. And, you know, and what's this going to, how is this going to impact the end user in the end? Well, yeah. and that's an interesting point because one of the big, one of the big pushes that Microsoft has done um, over the last, well, really since they went to Office 365, right, is they've, they kind of have discouraged this concept of, sending email attachments and now instead mm-hmm. i want to send a sharing link right, right back to OneDrive or sharepoint and i was thinking about that and i was going you know hey when we go migrate somebody from you know either one tenant to another or from on premise however they really tenant to tenant because you're not really doing sharing links on premise but when you go to migrate that email what use is it to me to get an email that has a link if that link is pointing to a dead location at that point in time, are there any tools that are that are dealing with that kind of problem? I mean, yes and no. I think <laughs> there's that there's many areas that impact. So let me give you another example. <laughs> Teams invites, right? So you migrate a meeting and the old team information is in there. You've got to do something. We need a tool that translates that right. or modifies yeah. that on the fly. Um, mm-hmm. The shares, it's the same way. When when you move over a share, you need a, a redirect link put back in the source after the migration, you know, so that for a time being, if someone hits the old link, they're redirected to the new link. That feature that I'm speaking about right there for the SharePoint is actually coming out in Microsoft's new SharePoint PowerShell modules to move oh, SharePoint sites so one mm-hmm. of the feature sets within that new PowerShell module, which is in preview mode right now, so you have mm-hmm. to sign up to get into preview, is that they'll leave old links in the old SharePoint site there for you for whatever specified period of time so that you know any of their shares are, can be redirected back to the new share. So if old links are out there, they can still be live. Will that do cross-tenant migration or is that only That's inside right. of a tenant? Oh, great. No, that is cross-tenant, right. So that's oh, part of wow. the new capabilities that they uh, announced at Ignite. The M&A mm-hmm. team at Microsoft mm-hmm. announced at Ignite. I think it's in public preview right now, if not GA, mm-hmm. uh, is their MRS tenant-to-tenant move, so the mailbox move capabilities right. from tenant-to-tenant. They introduced their solution for domain sharing, so that's mm-hmm. big news, right? So Because mm-hmm. there's you know, ISVs out there selling address rewrite services and uh, Microsoft is solving that. So that market's going to kind of yeah. go to the wayside. <laughs> uh, and we've been waiting uh, for that. I mean, that's the big, yeah, one. we all knew everybody, every exchange yeah. admin knew in the world it was coming. It's just, what's the timing of it all. Right. So in their solution is really, they're just putting, they're allowing internal relay connectors, just like exchange on premises. So you'll Got be it. able to set up connectors that are internal yeah. relays and you'll share your domain. Boom. That's boom. awesome. Yeah. So yeah, um, and then the other sounds thing great is, in concept, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll see how the mail routing goes. <laughs> yeah, and see what the end user experience is. I, I signed up for the private preview. I haven't gotten approval yet. They haven't started releasing. They said at the beginning of the year they're going to start sending out the info for preview people to start testing it. So I'm going to test it for sure. So the partners, um, man, they always come in after the fact and you sweep up after you know the yeah. migration mess that Microsoft leaves behind. Yeah. But, um, but the other thing they announced was the SharePoint tenant to tenant. So they have a SharePoint and OneDrive PowerShell modules that basically move sites and move OneDrive sites the same as you would for the mailboxes. So they're giving administrators the free tools to be able to start to move data between tenants without, you know, necessarily having to pick up a, you know, a subscription from an ISV, at least for smaller stuff or one-offs and things like that. There's no yeah. interface. It's all PowerShell. Hmm, but that's I mean, cool. they're, they're doing a lot of cool stuff. 
so what would you say then, um, you know, when I think of the cloud, one of the things I love about the Microsoft cloud specifically is how, you know, and this is what Microsoft sells. Microsoft really sells this concept of interoperability, right? You're, you're not just buying Exchange and SharePoint and OneDrive and uh, IM and Teams anymore. It used to be Skype for business, but it's Teams now, right? You're not just buying these singular workloads. You're buying the holistic solution that involves whiteboard and planner and sway and um, and to-do and, and all of these wonderful <laughs> things that are part of this, right? But... You know, I'm, I was talking. I look. I was yeah. literally talking to a customer yesterday, and they were asking the question of saying, "Hey, how do we move? To move? <laughs> are, are our plans going to come along? Yeah. And if yeah. our plans yeah. come along, you know, how, how do we do that? And 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 how do private channels work? And and all kinds of things because sure. people think of that all as I'm going to move my tenant. It's it's no. You pointed out earlier. It's no longer of. I'm going to move email and I'm going to move SharePoint. It's now I'm going to move my tenant and they expect everything to come along and still work on the other side. Yeah. So, so what's kind of the state of the migration industry right now in that, in that regard? I think we're in the cold wars right now. Um, <laughs> every, every ISV is in a race at this point to start to fill in the gaps for every possible workload they have right yeah so they're all kind of at the same they're all around pacing each other like you know teams is the biggest focus right now it has been for the last year or so yeah it's been the big um, race right right it's the big race going on right now like who got teams first like how many workloads can you get inside of teams because how many different feature sets can you support yeah. within the team's ecosystem that you're actually going to move and migrate how good is the quality is the data how much metadata can you move over how much metadata can you manipulate so each of the isvs or even microsoft are racing to to do that what they're coming up against is the fact that they're using APIs that weren't designed for migrations. They're using right. the end user APIs to connect and copy data from one tenant to another. So they're hitting major throttling issues because it's an end user API not designed for bulk import export. Yeah. So Microsoft now has heard that loud and clear. I had a meeting with them, not this year, obviously, <laughs> last year about that, specifically interviewing their their API guys to tell them what we needed for a migration API. So they've responded, you know, they have the SharePoint migration APIs now, import, export, those are fully GA. So th that helps a lot with the SharePoint and OneDrive components of it for velocity. They're doing the Teams import API. It's in preview mode right now. We're testing it. To, and is to is do that going to let us actually drop messages with the yeah. original context yes. and ownership? Absolutely. Oh, and you just put, crazy, you put a big smile on David's face. Satya. <laughs> yeah. Praise Satya. Praise Satya that's finally going to come. And private chat's going to come with it. Oh, wonderful. When I talk to people about this, that's been the one thing that people just get really upset about is yeah. losing all that context when I do that migration. So knowing that's finally coming down the pipe, that's really important. I hesitate to put you on the spot here, but do you have an <laughs> idea when that's going to, is that, is that going to be first half of 2021? Or are we talking second half or into 2022? <laughs> no, I think it's going to be the first half of 2021. Oh, that's great. That, that's going to make things so much easier. It seems like half people I talk to these days are, are now doing tenant consolidations, tenant migrations. Um, we're working with one customer that's doing a migration from G cloud to E cloud, another one that's going the other way, E cloud into G cloud. And then I've got another customer that's doing two tenants into one tenant migration and then, you know, merging tenants. So that team stuff is super important to them yeah. uh, and getting that stuff to come across. 
beyond teams, right? So we're in the rate, the foot race for teams and all the mm-hmm. little bits and bobs of teams. And, and again, Microsoft is coming out with new APIs to help streamline that. But there's also, like you were saying, those other workloads like Planner, OneNote, Apps, you know, uh, Sway. Uh, Power what's BI. The, pa- Power BI is the other, probably the next biggest one that people are consistently talking about. The adoption of Power BI has been very good for them. People now are well, like, hey, I created this report now. Why, why isn't it over in my new tenant? Yeah. Well, so, any of the Power, power, app, stuff, power right? Automate and, and yeah, Power Apps too, stuff. right? <laughs> yeah, those are application transformation migrations more than mm-hmm. they are straight up migrations. Any yeah, of that app stuff that's customized, you got to inventory everything, figure out complexity, figure out ownership, you know, and then figure out what really needs to move and what really doesn't need to move. That's the biggest challenge with apps like that, because it really goes against the normal consultants feeling of like, oh, just take the mailbox and move it or, you know, filter out some of it and make 30 days or 90 days. No big deal. But when you get into SharePoint or apps and, you know, even some parts of Teams like like it really becomes an application assessment migration mm-hmm. um, yeah. that you need to decide what data goes and what data doesn't, what gets archived and what gets deleted. Well, and one thing we tell people is if you're doing Power Apps and Power Automate and things like that, you need to treat that like SDLC. Mm-hmm. You should be developing that in one tenant and then deploying it to another tenant. And that makes it a lot easier than if you have to ever migrate your tenant because right. you've already got that process down. Yeah, and don't stick to the strict timelines that your end-user migration project is is stuck to. Like with SharePoint and Power Apps, like take it can trickle in. Like you don't have to like pressure yourself into a big bang, and every app has to be there. You need to base it on who's using it, where they're at, and how often it's used, and how critical it is to the business. Don't lump all of those apps into just your tenant-to-tenant migration project, and don't think that they have to be there at the end of that timeline. Because they just realistically don't. Like yeah. SharePoint especially, if you have a lot of sites out there and you know your organization creates their own sites and customizes their own sites and uses, builds apps and things like that, take them on a case-by-case basis. Move them based on criticality and the workloads or the work streams that they yeah. work with. But don't hamper yourself by saying, God, we got to get everything in SharePoint over by the 31st. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're going to shoot yourself in the foot and fail. Well you, well, you mentioned one thing, Richard, that I'm I'm curious about because you, you mentioned a big bang approach, right? And and I've worked with a lot of different migrations. And I come from the SharePoint side, right? Um, and so I, I almost never even think about email yeah. migrations. In some ways, it's harder to do coexistence in the SharePoint side than it is on the email side because email, I can get the free busy indicator across different areas. There's ways of doing that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, there's ways of forwarding mail. It's, exactly. It's a little more difficult if I think about the idea of if I have one site collection living in one tenant, I have another site collection living in the other tenant, but who the heck do I log in as? You know, which am I logging yeah. into two different tenants? How is that all going to work? Do I need two licenses? Am I doing Azure B2B or something like that? Are you seeing a change in this concept of doing a big bang migration approach or doing it in iterative waves? Or is it going to become more where the iterative waves are going to become almost more like so small, but so fast that it almost just becomes like a surge at that point in time? I mean, big bangs are still used, but the parameters that you decide using a big bang haven't changed. Small amount of users or data that you can fit and absorb within the, both the velocity and, and how it impacts your organization of that big bang. 
those are really yeah. the, the key factors. Like, do we have the capacity to move X, Y, Z, or this many users or data at this amount of time, 72 hours or something, uh, and get it all done and be successful? It's a yes or no kind of thing. And um, how many so people I, are going to call the help desk, right, on Monday? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You can absorb <laughs> yeah. the influx. So Big Bang hasn't changed too much. You know, we honestly don't see them. We're working in the enterprise space and enterprises are too large to consider yeah. big banks unless they're small, you know, acquisitions from a single site. It's 250 guys. Let's just move them, you know, yeah. fair enough. Rip oh, the bandaid off and let's go. Yeah. Let's yeah. just do it. Um, but, you know, we're not honestly looking for those fish and we're letting partners and, you know, and, and professional services teams do those kinds of things and right. live in that market. So they're looking for enterprise. So enterprises phase migrations. Still have the requirement of, of course, email coexistence, free busy, like you spoke of, mail forwarding, things like that. Um, but as we go forward, B2B is definitely being thrown now into the mix. Customers and clients are figuring out the use cases for B2B while they're in a coexistence phase, both for Teams, SharePoint, you know, email, all of that. So it's starting to become a thing. Back in the past, when companies would start in M&A, it was always probably an elite group of first starters that got onboarded into the new system or the new target um, through, you know, a new identity. They were given a new account, a new password, new login. And, uh, you know, eventually ha they had to merge those accounts, figure out who was who, migrate those accounts, all of those kinds of things. But now with, you know, B2B, what makes B2B even more complicated is that if your system or your organization is open and the policies aren't set, anybody can invite a guest, right? So I'm in a team, right. I go invite a guest from an outside org. Nobody knows that I did that. So what you end up seeing in these M&As is, you come into a situation where, oh, they have like 72 guest accounts already or, you know, 6,000 guest accounts already. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it really depends because you had the same problem before you had, oh, they have now two accounts. I've got to figure out who owns which account and merge them. Right. Yep. So now you have to yeah. do the same thing with B2B, which makes it more complicated overall. Yeah matching them, finding out who actually is the owner. And then the real crux of it all is converting them, actually changing them over from a guest to a user, licensing them so that all the permissions stay in place. Because right now, clients are coming into the situation where they're make, trying to make a decision like, oh, I have these guest accounts. I need to either delete them and recreate their user accounts, or I need yeah. to go create my local uh, account and link it up to the account because it was a guest that's cloud only, but I'm actually a hybrid. So now I need <laughs> to create my identity on-prem so it can sync up to the cloud. But what do I do? Do I leave the guest yeah. there? How do I link them together? Do I need to convert it? Do I need to delete it? What do I do about permissions? <laughs> oh, and by the way, I have these mail-enable contacts too. <laughs> uh. Yeah, that are actually the same guy. <laughs> right. So, yeah. <laughs> So, so you have a plethora of different identities across yeah. the different tenants, depending on where you come into the project, because where you come into the project, you could come in very early and say, hey, let's set up coexistence. Let's plan out the whole thing. Let's plan out directory synchronization, where identities be, where authentication will live, all of that, and then deploy it and everybody and we'll turn it all on and everybody will be in coex phase and then we'll begin migrations or 
you're coming in and there's like, oh, we've been doing this for six months or six weeks or mm-hmm. whatever. And we've already started setting up some of that stuff. So we have the org relationship set up. We did some basic forwarding, but we're not, it's kind of weird. And oh, by the way, we have lots of guest accounts out there because everybody's <laughs> been creating them. It's crazy. So, and they're all yeah. executives, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is worst case scenario. Always worst case scenario. Let's migrate the executives first in the pilot. <laughs> okay. Oh. Let's do that. Yeah, oh, so. no, no. <laughs> you know, one, if you really want to get into fun, though, look at Microsoft's multilingual or multi-geo rather um, mm-hmm. implementations where they've got farms in different parts of the world, yeah, but yet the different people satellites. are all one. Everybody's still org. one org. And I see that and I'm going, you know, I, I just wonder if one day that's how Microsoft is going so to actually approach yes. this whole multi-tenanting. They you just say, look, if you pay an extra five bucks a month per user or yeah whatever you could have your two tenants or your three tenants or your 10 tenants and they'll all appear yeah. like one yeah i totally agree with you the first yeah. time that i went through training on multi-geo like that's what it screamed left and right because it solves two major problems it solves data sovereignty and control over that for yep. the client yep. and it solves domain sharing because mm-hmm. the exchange org is one exchange org you have yeah. your domains and you yeah. share them across and there's no more connectors. There's no more ERS. There's none of that. So they've, they solve two major problems. And on top of you look at what they're doing with how satellites, you know, interact. You have a user in the U.S. You go set a s- attribute inside that user object to EU and mm-hmm. it, it automatically moves that moves user, everything over their there. identity. Mm-hmm. You know what that is? That's all those APIs that they're now releasing into the public that they developed there first. Right. The MRS stuff, they developed it there first and figured out all the kinks. The SharePoint and OneDrive PowerShell that I would talk about mm-hmm. earlier, same thing. They're using those APIs. They're they're gonna they're gonna make sure they get their money. Uh, oh yeah. To, I mean to, they're to, charging to have that extra. Happen. It makes you appreciate the architecture behind the scenes, right? It really does make you appreciate that. Um, well, how they've designed Office 365. The geo was announced about two years ago, and. You know, over that past two years, we have seen some real migrations going to it, um, mm-hmm. but it's been picking up pace. Now becoming to the point where uh, product-wise, we have to actually look at, okay, we need to really clearly support this and work out any of the kinks. Because, yeah. there, you know, there's complications with how yeah. you, you move data from one to another. So it is picking up for sure. Well, and, and it gets even more complex when you've got, like, I, I work with an organization that's in 40 different countries. So they, they set up their tenant in the EU because they didn't want to deal with GDPR issues. Mm-hmm. But most of their users are in the United States and in Asia Pacific, and they have a whole bunch of users that are inside the PRC. And that's a whole, that adds a whole nother level of complexity uh, to people who are in the PRC and who are in Taiwan and who are in, you know, you know Southeast Asia, but also they're all coming back to Europe to do all their work theoretically. Uh, so it, it has it has e-discovery issues. It has latency issues. It has a whole bunch. And I, I was talking to them about moving to, to multi-geo and they're like, nah, we don't want to spend the extra money. <laughs> okay. That's the answer I've gotten a lot too. I've it's not pre- cheap. Yeah, it isn't. It isn't. No. It's a big investment. Unless you have real business drivers saying David's sovereignty is a key to our data security, you know, strategy, then, uh, you know, how do you justify it? And and I said, there there's some weird questions that fall into that, especially when you start talking about, you know, the Federation of Search across all of that. If I'm there, especially around China, there's some specific rules around China and what they can and can't see. I'm not sure how that would work with a multi-geo. I'm not sure you can even multi-geo into, no. into, into China no, right now. You can't. No, no, no. Yeah. 
Uh, well, Rich, very good I, info. I, I want to. This is this has been awesome. I mean, I, I I'm excited. You've made me actually really excited to, to, to wait. <laughs> you put for, a smile on his face, literally. Yeah, you did. I mean, to, to tell me about the the, the SharePoint migration uh, preview um, APIs, and then of course the Teams migration APIs. Both of those make me super excited because that's been things that customers that I've been talking to have been been really concerned about. Um, because for the most part, customers. Um, if they can get away with it, they want to not pay for a migration tool, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Can I migrate and, and have Just it not put cost it on, anything? Yeah, go make my admin do it. Yeah, you exactly. guys go figure that out. Go do it. Oh, I, I have a customer right now who's telling me we don't need to buy a migration tool. We just we'll just go ahead and just say move the stuff from one tenant to the other. And I'm like, mm, okay, sure. We'll, we'll we'll see how that works out. Yeah. <laughs> we're so Those easy. are the ones that end up disappointed. <laughs> or as with as, as sometimes does happen, you know, you have projects that are done to the employees as opposed to for the employees. Oh yeah. If dude. if I can yeah, tell my employees you're going to suck it up because it's going to be terrible for the next six months, and you don't care that they don't that they're not happy, then you can do a lot of things on the cheap, if you will. <laughs> So I think, Brian, we have come to that time of our podcast once more. What what time is that, Brian? The one last thing. One last, one last thing. thing. And it being Christmas time, because we're recording this podcast the Friday before Christmas, I thought that we would revisit. Now, a few years ago, we did our favorite Christmas movie, um, and we talked about that. Um, and we talked about the whole Die Hard thing, and it's the Christmas movie, right? But... Uh, this time I thought we would talk about our favorite Christmas song. And so, so Rich, since you're our guest on this show, why don't you tell us what your favorite Christmas song is? I mean, it's got to be Charlie Brown. Um, I mean, any of the songs from the Charlie Brown Christmas special, but probably Christmas Time is here. Is oh, probably yeah, that's the one point. that I hear on the radio and I actually turn it up versus every other time when I turn <laughs> turn the dial to say that. Nah, I listen to the Christmas music. Turn but, it off, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's the Charlie Vince, Brown Vince gets, Garaldi right trio. Here. I had to I had to look it up on you. I knew it was something trio, but the Vince Garaldi trio does the Christmas time is here audio. That that is that is a great one. I agree with you on that. So what about what about you, Brian? What's your favorite Christmas song? Well, you know me, man. Being the vocalist and in, in the cover band that I'm in, um, something about Pavarotti, classical. right? Got to be Pavarotti. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have to go the classical route, so I'd have to say like "Oh Holy Night" or something like that. Ooh, ooh that's a good one. And actually, Pavarotti's version of that one's actually really good. Although I would recommend if you want to hear a really good Pavarotti Christmas carol, listen to his his Adeste Fidelis um, one. You can find it on YouTube, and okay. it's it's awesome. I mean, he's singing with a full orchestra and a choir, and it is it is. Just, I think I've heard that, but I'll have to and look it up. He, he does it in Latin, and then he does it in English, um, yeah. and, and kind of works back and forth and stuff like that. Growing up as a you know as a member of our choir in in my in my Catholic church, growing up, we would sing a lot of stuff in Latin around Christmas time, and so I always I always have a hankering for you know Adeste Fidelis, Latte Triumphantes, you know, kind of thing. So love that stuff. So, so I, I'm going to go much more modern than you guys. So we've got Old Holy Night, which is a really you know old Christmas carol, and Christmas yeah. Time is here is from I guess it was the 70s when that came out, or was it the 60s when the Charlie Brown Christmas came out? I forget off the top of my head. Uh, I'm going to go with one that that's actually from the 80s, which is still pretty old, okay, <laughs> considering, wow. but it, it's a little more recent. Uh, there's a there's a band called the Waitresses that has two songs that are popular, um, and I only know of one of them. 
Uh, one of them, I have no idea what it's called. It's something about I know what boys like or something like that. They were a little <laughs> band out of Ohio that that nobody's ever heard of, but they have this song called Christmas Rapping, um, W-R-A-P-P-I-N-G. And it is this – it's almost like a spoken verse song um, where the main the, – the, the lead singer who's a female goes through and she tells this whole story about this whole year – you know, she's been trying to get together with this guy and she can't ever, they keep, they keep missing each other all through the entire year and, and never get to go out on a date. And they finally decide it's Christmas Eve or it's Christmas. They're going to, they're going to just, you know, cook Christmas dinner and she's going to stay at home. And then she forgot her cranberry sauce. And so she goes to the only all night grocery and runs into the guy at the checkout line. And they decide they have to, you know, they're going to spend Christmas together now because they finally get a chance. It's just a really cute song. Um, and it has a really awesome saxophone riff as part of the um, the oh, chorus. Okay. So if you haven't heard that one, and Brian, 8.0 could cover this song. Because <laughs> I could true. so see you talking about, you know, this girl you were trying to meet all year. You'd have to switch it up. You know, I don't think you want to <laughs> yeah. sing about the guy you're trying to meet up all year. But you could. Hey, whatever. I have to do it. You know, have to do it all what, the whatever works, right? But I could see you singing about this girl you're trying to meet up all year until you finally meet her at the, at, at the checkout aisle of the local grocery store. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like it has a lot of lyrics. <laughs> it, it actually has. It is. It is a very. It, it, it's a very word dense song. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's a lot. And, and it's not really sung, although it does have a little bit of lyric quality to it and stuff like that. Yeah. But go out. I'll, I'll put it in the notes when, when we when we post this thing, Brian. Let's go ahead and we can put each of these uh, out there as uh, as part of the notes and stuff like that, which yeah, I think would perfect. be cool. And perfect. you know, hey, what guys? We're at cloud whispers right you can get to us at cloud whispers at outlook.com uh brian is get cloud savvy i'm d brusa uh, rich w- what's your twitter handle or do you have one i assume you do all right i do not sir uh, oh okay you well, can find me on linkedin for sure just oh well linkedin name. is great yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah linkedin uh is another another great place to find us and of course we have our facebook page you can just go look for the cloud whispers on facebook and follow us up there and why don't you tell us what your favorite christmas song is because we would love to hear that as well well, thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. Um, it's been a great time having you here, Richard. And and, and everybody yeah, Richard, go out and, and subscribe to our Thanks. podcast. It's on all of the, the major podcasting um, uh, outlets, Spotify and iTunes and Google Play. Uh, I haven't gotten us on Stitcher yet because I don't know how to get to Stitcher. I'm not even sure what Stitcher is because I hear people talk about it. And then, of course, we're on SoundCloud, which is our, our home from that standpoint. All righty, guys. Very good stuff. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rich. Richard. It's been a it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Thank you so much for your time. And Have I, a great I really Christmas. Great, great meeting you and talking to you.